Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC, coming at you during the bye week, Monday after Florida gets defeated by LSU, with my co-host, Will Miles, you can find him at a site, readandreaction.com, on YouTube at Read and Reaction, and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, we were kind of joking, not joking before this episode. I was like, man, and I am just going to stay with it. Kind of dreading this one. Kind of dreading this one. We got the theme of grading the Gators. Um, there's some good. There's a lot of bad. Uh, and when you're when record's forward three going into the bye week, that just comes with the territory. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we came into the season. A lot of people predicted Florida to be six and six. I think the over under was six. I think we all looked at it and said, ah, we think they can do better than that. They come out, they win the opening game against Utah. We're like, hey, we can definitely do better than that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, things have sort of come hurtling back towards Earth over the last five or six weeks as we've seen the limitations that this team has. And, you know, Billy Napier is here for a reason. He's here because of some of those limitations. He's having to fight through some of those limitations, and it's not looking pretty right now. There are, there are definitely things where you look at and say it should be better. Um, but there are some things I think you look at and say that they're improving as well, and let's be fair and talk about those things too. But look, I mean, you go out and you lose to an LSU team that quite honestly isn't that great of an LSU team with a new head coach in their own right coming in and going through some of the same challenges that Billy Napier is. At home, Florida really not been that successful at the Swamp this year. Not successful against their rivals either. You start looking at rivals, Tennessee, LSU, you got Georgia on the horizon, Florida State at the end of the year. Those are the teams that, you know, Urban Meyer didn't lose to any of those guys. He, he made sure that on a consistent basis, Florida was beating its main rivals. And thus far, Billy Napier hasn't been able to do that. So, you know, look, I, I think we all knew this was going to be a little bit of a, a rough road at some points along this season. I think even when we think back to 2018, 
you can look at that and say, oh, yeah, there were a couple of rough spots in there. Um, Jim McElwain a little bit less rough there in 2015, though a lot of that had to do with the East just being terrible, going through a bunch of transition at the time. Mark Rick getting getting tossed to Georgia and some other things going on there as well. Yeah, his, his, uh, his rough patch came at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, I mean, look, I, I think there are um, – I think there are reasons to be optimistic about some things. I think there's some reasons to be absolutely pessimistic about some things. And, uh, you know, hey, we're going to see a bunch of shootouts this year. So let's embrace it. And let's let's embrace that the offense is going to have to hum. And hopefully it can it can keep up with some of the limitations that we see on the uh, defensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, the uh, prediction of shootouts that came that came from us a couple of weeks ago, too. And, and look, that was not an original thought, but <laughs> that was, you know, that 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 thought started coming out. Uh, when we started seeing enough of this defense struggle week in and week out, and uh, now just the last couple of weeks in, in, in third down situations that have just absolutely killed this Florida defense and, and given a chance uh, there for this team to uh, you know and you know pull a win uh, versus LSU there uh, from the get go. Uh, we, we saw that stat rear its head, and it was there pretty much all night in big big fashion, uh, more so than um, you know we've seen. Uh, Ever. I mean, these are third and longs that are just inexcusable giving up. You know, I went to length about it uh, on the podcast yesterday. You did too, Will, with your review article uh, of LSU. And it's like, that's the, that's the, the, the big thing for me, Will, is we made Jaden Daniels look like Joe Burrow. I mean, there was a lot of stats there at LSU threw at us. And it was the only other quarterback to do, to do this such stats was Joe Burrow. The only other quarterback to do that was Joe Burrow. And I'm like, oh, Lord, that's that, that, that's where this defense is. Is You, you made Jaden Daniels look like Joe Burrow. Well, and I think that's why people are frustrated because <laughs> a few years ago we saw Todd Grantham make Terry Wilson look like Joe Burrow. And, uh, you know, we've seen this show before where the Florida defense can't get stops and where um, they can't get off the field. And on third down, they can't get off the field. And the expectation coming into this year, and I think this is where the frustration comes from, is that, you know, whenever your expectation deviates from reality, that's when you get frustrated, right? You sit there, and if we would expected Florida's defense to just get run roughshod over, then we'd be like, okay, maybe it's a little bit worse than we thought, but this is yeah. kind of in line with what we expected. The problem is we all expected that jettisoning Todd Grantham was going to fix a lot of the problems. And it turns out that the players that Todd Grantham brought into the system uh, or brought into the program were part of the problem, it appears. But then also that, uh, you know, the, the jury is still out on this staff, Patrick Tony specifically. And, you know, but at the same time, I think, you know, Corey Raymond's a really good defensive back coach. And so if the defensive backs are struggling as well, there's more going on than just necessarily the coaches failing, though certainly putting your players in a position to succeed is part of what the coaches have to do. And they haven't done that yet either. And so this is one of those where, you know, a couple of years ago when we were talking about Mullen or talking about McIlwain and everything going downhill, and I think I said it again when everything was going downhill with Mullen, it's a complete system failure. And on the defensive side of the ball, it has been a complete system failure at this point. Guys out of position, not knowing what they're supposed to do, poor alignment to start with, poor scheme, um, just not executing. And every once in a while, the offense wins a play. But it's amazing how when Anthony Richardson hits a check down, it goes for two yards. When LSU hits a check down, it goes for 24. And, <laughs> you know, the, the, you, you just, you know, you, you can't allow that to happen. And um, there's really no excuse. There's effort issues, there's scheme issues, there's execution issues. And 
um, you know, the, the problem is, is that no matter what they've tried and you can go back and look at the film, you can see Tony trying zones and blitzes and man, That's you know, just, yeah. cover, cover two man under cover, cover two man, man zone. You can see him trying cover three, cover four. You can see him trying zone blitz. You can see him trying full blitz. You can see him bringing both linebackers you, like there. He has tried absolutely everything. And every time he does it, somebody screws up and somebody's wide open. And, you know, I think there have they've been a little bit, you know, LSU didn't miss anything, right? It wasn't right. like it wasn't like Jaden Daniels just airmailed some guys who were wide open. And that that and was another one, thing. He he actually he, he had a good game himself, and then it was compounded by Florida having a terrible performance, bad defense once again. But that was also just one of his better days. And there, part of it, there was no pressure in his face whatsoever. So they, they made it easy for him, and that was probably contributing to him having one of his best days. But he was on as well. Well, look, this was 2020 Texas A&M. Yeah. That's what this was like. I right. mean, it was every single drive they had went like 75 or 80 yards. It felt like every time you looked up, they were just in – they were in Florida territory. I, I was joking with Nick Newton about halfway through the game. Like, onside kick it, dude. Just every single time. Uh, you, said, you said the same thing like, to me, yeah. Like, do the Kevin Kelly, just onside kick, because who cares? They're scoring anyway. Like, let's see if we can get one or two. DeWan Black knows how to get that ball on an onside kick. Let's see what we can do here. And, you know, if you're not going to – if you're just not going to put up any resistance whatsoever. I mean, that was the crazy thing. They come out of halftime, and the LSU running back breaks like 75 tackles yeah. on his way to a 50-yard run. Should have been a one-yard gain, right? Yeah. Javon, Javon Dexter has him in the backfield. Yeah, somebody, somebody took a screen – somebody took a screen grab. Somebody took a screen grab of that. Almost was almost right after he takes the handoff. I was like, "Yeah, somehow this turned into fifty yards." <laughs> well, um, you can say that about a few different things. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know that that happens. They run right down the field. They just run right over Florida's defense. Ventrell Miller gives everybody a pep talk on the sidelines in between drives. Next drive, they come out, uh, just torch him in the air. <laughs> Like it, was, it was like, you know, at some point, and I, there were people that I know who were there at the game, and I mean, you were there too, obviously, so you can comment on this, but there were people who were there at the game who were who were texting me going, calling out specific players, I'm not going to name names, but calling out specific players from an effort perspective, mm -hmm. and I think that's the thing that you look at and say, ugh, like, you know, if... Uh, you can, you know, I say this to the little leaguers that I coach all the time. Like you can control your attitude and you can control your effort. Those are the two things you can control. And if you screw up something that's, that's physical, you know, you lose a jump ball or, you know, you get beat and you got to pull somebody down because to get a pass interference because you got beat on a double move or something like that. Like those are physical mistakes, right? You drop an interception, those sorts of things. It's the mental mistakes that just kill you where, you know, somebody makes a mistake and then all of a sudden they start moping and then th that turns into three more mistakes. And that feels like sort of what happens right i mean they were they came out and they were fired up on that first drive and then the first third down gets converted and it was like the air just completely got out of the defense they come down they score a touchdown okay well let's go out there and actually have that same effort on the second drive right like you you get more than one opportunity to stop lsu let's actually do it but you know from that first drive on like they had lsu in some real third down and long situations on that first drive Brenton Cox was in the backfield a ton that first drive. They were getting some push up front. They weren't allowing LSU to run the ball. They convert a couple of third downs. They convert one fourth down, score the touchdown. And from then on, the defense was just Swiss cheese. And so I think from a confidence standpoint, like they came out amped up and ready to go and were able to make some plays early on. And then those just dwindled as the game went on. As LSU became more comfortable that Florida wasn't going to be able to get home. And, and as, uh, as Florida became more convinced of that as well. 
<sighs> yep, all right. Yeah, we've we've both already taken a look back at that game, but now we're time to get to we're kind of past halfway uh, at this moment as far as bye week where it comes into the schedule, of course, is right after uh, or right before the Georgia game, of course, and right after about halfway. So, uh, you know, we'll take a look at, at grading these Gators a little bit. Won't go too, too in-depth as far as straight position. Um, uh, just offense, defense here. Uh, maybe throw in some uh, special teams as well, but mainly offense, defense. Uh, talking here, you know, special teams uh, maybe have one of their best uh, games there with Trevor Etienne and his kickoff return there, Will versus LSU. Uh, but uh, we, we did see that change uh, happening and it paying dividends uh, right there for the Gators. And then we'll take some question and answer uh, as well. This time of year is a good time for that. Uh, at the same time, ask for your questions on. Uh, Twitter today and a good bit of you respond hopefully we can get to uh, most of those there but before we do hit that like button hit that subscribe button I know the uh, the topic may not be the best but uh, like the work Will and I are putting in right here for this episode of Gators Breakdown subscribe to Gators Breakdown get those notifications when we go live all throughout the week right here on Gators Breakdown and join us on Gators Breakdown Plus starting at three dollars a month get access to those discord server a lot of good conversation going on there uh you know, a lot of what we'll talk about here, you can go even further in depth right there on that Discord chat server. Extra episodes there throughout the week as well. Link to join Gators Breakdown Plus is in the description. So, all right, well, we can uh, get started right here with the offensive side of the ball. It's uh, some some better news <laughs> on this side of the ball here. Uh, may not have lived up. Well, I'm definitely afraid to go back and um, at the end of the season with these over-unders because, you know, I was well over on a lot of those things, and I'm going to uh, not look so hot even for the uh, the offense. And in some ways, they're, they, they are uh, uh, doing good out there. Uh, but we'll go uh, more into it as uh, well. But, well, I think, you know, kind of looking at it, of course, we're going to look so far in depth at the quarterback position and, and, and grading this offense. But I, I think overall a grade of a B uh, and probably, you know, if you want to do plus B plus B minus, Will, you're more than welcome to do so uh, and how you want to grade. I, I, I'll just go B, but if I probably had to go that specific, probably B minus uh, there just because of the up and downs, the inconsistency at the quarterback position uh, right there. But, I, I, you know, you know, you've had some really great performances from Anthony Richardson. Some really putrid performances by Anthony Richardson. The run game is one of the nation's best as far as yards per carry go uh, out there for that run game. So I think the run game, the offensive line, I give those. If, if I'm looking specifically at those, I, I give those in A. And I'm and specifically for the offensive line. Will not a lot of sacks given up. They are opening up lanes for this running game, and they've had to plug. Uh, some guys in there, and the production hasn't dropped off all that much. Now, we don't want to see Osiris Torrance not out there a whole lot, but guys have been able to fill in and fill in admirably, uh, maybe not top level uh, when they've had to, but Austin Barber has played much more than Michael Tarquin out there this year, and you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference uh, between those two guys so far out there. So I think running back, offensive line kind of combined together, and then also the offensive line not giving up sacks. A, for both of those groups, uh, quarterback, Probably about, you know, uh, probably B, probably drives kind of the whole thing. Receivers, I'd say probably a C and kind of combining with what we see in the passing game. Uh, just not uh, – we've seen some deeper play. We, we've seen as this season progresses, Will, the deep shots getting hit on a little more consistent basis. But overall, not going – you know, kind of just brushing over broad strokes here. I'll go, uh, I'll go B for this offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably pretty fair. I I think, so the offense is 26th in yards per play, 
and they're 62nd in points per game against FBS opponents, so not counting Eastern Washington. So 63rd. So they're only scoring 28 points a game. You would expect them to be somewhere in the 35 points mm. per game based on how many yards they're getting. And that really speaks to the inconsistency. It's not just Anthony Richardson. It's I mean, Richardson obviously is a big part of it. But the bigger part is if you look at – and this is one of the more uh, – more telling stats, I think, from the LSU game. They had 59 total plays. They averaged 6.7 yards per play. That's really good. That's that's a top 15 offense. But they had five explosives for 220 yards. So if you take the other 54 plays of the game, they only averaged 3.2 yards per play, which is really, really bad offense. Mm -hmm. And so what they are is they are a really, really bad offense that supplements with enormous explosives. And so if the explosive delivers for a touchdown – they're going to score 35 to 40 points. If the explosive gets them to like the 20 or the 15 or something like that, they're not always going to finish off the drive. And with Richardson turning off, turning the ball over as much as he has so far in the first half of the year, they haven't finished off a lot of those drives. And so they have had a large amount of those explosives not go for points, whether those are missed field goals, whether those are field goals that never happen because they get knocked out of field goal range, whether those are field goals that never happen because they throw an interception, whatever it may be. The reality is, is that the offense has just been very much feast or famine. And you can see that in the stats. Again, if you look at LSU stats, they average 4.9 yards per play in the non-explosive plays. Now, they average 7.5 overall, so Florida's mm -hmm. defense. But that's one of those where – and I said this the other day on – I think it was Stand Up and Holler – that the it felt like if Florida stopped LSU for a gain of four or five on a first down run, it was a win. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, like, as it's happening, I'm like, oh, good, we didn't give up a 14-yard run. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, a five-yard run is a win on first and 10. Like, your success rate goes up on a five-yard run in first and 10. That is considered a successful first down. You've stayed up, You've stayed ahead of the chains. And, um, you know, that just seems to be the constant state of affairs for the Florida defense. When you look at the offensive side of the ball, they have been they are behind the sticks an awful lot mm -hmm. right where you end up in these third and eight situations where Richardson has to bail him out with a run or where he's got to make a big big pass and when he is making passes he's hitting guys who are open and he's hitting guys who have room to run like the throw to Pierce all over the middle is a gorgeous throw right um on, on one of those long third downs but they've had a lot of those third downs they've converted a bunch of them in a few of these games but what it means is you can get the Kentucky game but you can also get the Utah game. You can get the USF game, but you can also get the Tennessee game. You can get the Missouri game, but you can also get the LSU game. And you just don't know what you're going to get because well, if you don't yeah. hit two or three of those explosives, then your offense isn't good at all. Yeah, and, and to go along with that, I, I just went just AR now, and I did give letter grades to each game, and that's going to go to the point you just made. Utah and A, Kentucky F, USF F, Tennessee A, Eastern Washington A, Missouri F, LSU B, I think it was out to about a C there for at, at the quarterback position uh, because those Fs, I mean, that's exactly what they sound like. You know, it's, and plus it is a roller coaster. We've talked about the roller coaster. We talked about the inconsistency. And uh, you got a great turnovers too, uh, I think. And even in the A performances, you know, there, there, there are the turnovers that are there. But, I mean, it's, uh, as you said, you don't know. You don't know what you're going to get, and you hope as what you just laid out there, these explosives, they're going to have to continue to be there. And then now when you go against a team like Georgia in a couple of weeks, that's going to be you know, one of, if probably the best defense you face all season, they're probably going to do a great job of limiting those explosive plays. 
Well, so I do want to go back. I, I don't think it's fair to give Richardson an F against Missouri. Okay. I think it's fair to give him an F against Kentucky. I think it's fair to give him an F against USF. I think you give him an A, maybe a B against Utah. I think you give him an A against Tennessee. I think you give him a C against Missouri. I think he was bad in the first half. And in the second half, he made key decisions that led to major drives that put Florida up two touchdowns. Um, and if we're talking about a guy who's developing, he folded in that game against Kentucky, you could see him just basically all the confidence wane from his body in that game. He didn't let that happen against Missouri. He picked it up in the second half, the throw, his stats look much better. Shorter brings in that ball down the sideline. He played much better in the second half. And I think we need to acknowledge that while also saying it was not a perfect game. He played great <laughs> against LSU. It's just, you can't expect your quarterback to deliver every single time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Trask against LSU and Burrow a couple of years ago, it was the 2019 game. We went into that hoping that Kyle Trask was who we who we thought he was, and he stood toe to toe with 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 Burrow in that game. Throws the one interception in the end zone. Otherwise, Florida is in that game much more than they were. But that's the problem, right? If you if you if you only have if one turnover kills you because your defense can't stop them, then you're screwed. So Florida loses to Texas A and M in 2020 because of that very thing. Florida loses to LSU because of that thing. Florida lost to Tennessee this year because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, Richardson turns the ball over one time, and all of a sudden the game's over. We're asking him to play on a razor's edge mm -hmm. because he's not consistent enough with the short-term simple stuff but he's extraordinarily explosive. But in order to do that explosive, there's some risk and there's some high wire acts to do that sort of stuff. And, and asking him to, to play that high wire act with the defense being as bad as it is on the other side does put an extra layer of pressure on him that, that's difficult. So I, I look at it and I go, Andy Richardson hasn't been perfect. The offense hasn't been perfect. But Florida's had a good enough offense to, to be 5-2. and two. Florida, quite honestly, has probably had a good enough offense to be 6-1 and one if the defense had been reasonable now the offense was terrible against Kentucky they deserve to lose that game because of the, because of the offense but this team has the has the opportunity the offense has not been the thing keeping them back the turnovers have been tough but there weren't any turnovers the other day and and so uh -huh. yeah I think a B B minus is good for this and the other thing I will say is that there have been a lot of people it was funny there were people coming out of the woodwork after the game against LSU saying Cenas proves Anthony Richardson isn't the quarterback for Florida <laughs> yeah, I don't know I'm where like, I was coming from how the heck did that <laughs> game prove to you that Anthony Richardson wasn't the answer you know what it says to me is that like I look at it and I go if you bring in a guy like Jaden Daniels Right. I think Jaden Daniels played very, very well against Florida, but that's about peak Jaden Daniels. He can't play better than that. Anthony Richardson can play way better than he's played so far. And he still is going to end up at the end of the year with a, an above average quarterback rating and above average yards above replacement and above average QBR, all that stuff. Like because of his ability to make those big plays, if he can start making the simple plays, like one of the things I think is significant in the game, it, it, nobody's going to pay any attention to this. People probably don't even remember it, but I remember it because he checked down to ETN mm -hmm. on a third down and seven. ETN was out there one-on-one, -on -one, had an opportunity to beat his defender, couldn't do it, got brought down. And Florida punts. And that was the punt that LSU – well, it was the only punt. So that was the punt that LSU dropped. And then Florida gets the ball right back. But his willingness to not go downfield into the zone that LSU had dropped and say, look, I've got my running back. He's my check down. That's what I've been taught. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to throw it out there. That is a development. Sometimes the defense wins. Sometimes you have to punt. 
Um, unfortunately, that's never the case on the other side of the ball. So <laughs> he is going to start to press more and more as the defense struggles. Yeah. And that's my concern is that he's not going to learn the lessons where that check down is a good play. Like checking, not making a terrible throw on third and seven into the teeth of a defense, checking it down to your running back. And sometimes he's going to break the tackle and he's going to be able to get the first down. Sometimes he won't break the tackle and, you know, you're just going to have to punt. Those are the kinds of things he's going to need to improve on throughout the course of the year. And, and you're starting to see it. And so, you know, the the thing I really will look at throughout this season as it goes on is yards per play overall and yards per mm -hmm. play without the explosives. And if those numbers start coming a little bit more in line, then all of a sudden that's an indication that Richardson is starting to get more consistent. And, you know, you, you would kill for a guy who has his big play ability at that position and – just having to fill in the gaps of the simplicity of the position yeah. as opposed to having somebody who can, who can, who can execute all the simple stuff and can't do any of the explosiveness. Cause that's Luke Del Rio. I'll fix it. We've, yeah, we've, we've seen that plenty of times. Yeah. I mean, and, and look, nobody liked that either. So, <laughs> so, you know, Richardson has his warts. There's no doubt about it, but uh, I have been confused at the people who, especially after the LSU game last out at Richardson after the Missouri game, I understood a little bit because the first half he was bad, but again, recovered in the second half coming off the Tennessee game. And then to put up this game against LSU, I've, I've been Richardson's played well enough that Florida should have a better record than they do. Correct. Um, but uh, there are other problems that we're going <laughs> to talk about. Um, yeah. It goes to the other side of the ball and where we know, we, we, I mean, we know the grade here. There is no, there's no hiding that there's, not even it's a G. A, yeah. <laughs> there's not even a really a position group that you can even give a passing grade to. Because there's not. Uh, I'm sorry. There's not. There are players, maybe? Okay. You know, if you want to give you know somebody like a Ventrell Miller, okay. Yeah. You know, he's he 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 doesn't deserve a grade of an F. But as a as a position group, defensive line, linebackers, I mean, you don't you're not this bad on defense. This bad on defense, and not every position group deserve uh that failing grade there. Uh Will and probably would be a better way of doing this because you know we we've discussed kind of the LSU game we've just kind of discussed this week by week probably now better to kind of go into some of the questions that we received that we received because a lot of the topics we would probably hit on ourselves are going to be brought up here uh in some of these questions um uh, you know for for the defense so plenty plenty of course to get into i'm glad everybody uh sent those questions in we're gonna try and get to i sent will a few of them just kind of so he had a heads up of where we were going with this not all of these will be um topical of the defense uh i'll try and keep these in order uh, so we can hit the defense and then maybe hit some big picture stuff uh at, at the same time but yeah, that's probably the best way uh, for us to get into the defensive side of things here on our Q&A and grading scale at the same time. But before we do, let's get to our message from our friends at Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, 
or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. All right, well, let's get started here on this defensive portion here. And look, we should probably um, start with this. You said it, I've said it, we dated it back kind of to last week a little bit too. You said it again, system of failure on that side of the ball. So yes, what that means is it is a coaching problem. It is a player problem. And everybody wants to sit here and lay blame on one side or the other. Uh, but when you get this bad, that's what you are seeing out there on the field. I know a lot of people just want to go one side or whatever. Now, I will admit, and I said it yesterday, the further we get from, you know, as this year goes on, and the further we get, the more, you know, the more you can start. You know, because I didn't, I wanted to see how this year would play out. We talk about data points all the time. We're at the seventh data point, the seventh game of the season right now. Uh, you know, and we, we knew the issues the, the, that these players had. And then I think we had to kind of start learning along the way some of the issues uh, maybe the coaching staff has. And that's kind of where I think uh, we stand right now. We'll get started with uh, Gator Boy at uh, F1 Oray um, here on Twitter. Will, we'll, go, we'll start with you here. What percentage of the defensive problems would you put on player development? I know we all watched all of Grantham's players leave here almost the same as when he arrived. Conversely, what percentage would you put on scheme and scheme fit? Uh, um, 100% each. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you can see what Patrick Tony's trying to do with the scheme most of the time. I think... Um, you know, we, we criticized Todd Grantham for uh, a scheme that was too complex. I think in many cases you could sit, make the same, um, the same comment for Patrick Tony in mm -hmm. the defense right now. Um, I think he's got defensive linemen who are in coverage way too often. If you look, there was a play I remember from the Tennessee game where I think it was Powell Ryland was out in coverage and sort of dove, even though he had no shot at getting to the ball. And then Tradeen comes up and misses the tackle and it turns into like a 15 yard gain. That's a combination of two things, right? I mean, you've got Powell Ryland out in out in coverage. The guy's defensive end. Like, he, yeah, he's the buck, but he's a defensive end. And he's somebody who should be rushing the passer, but you've got him in coverage. And you're doing that because you can't win the one-on-one -on -one battles up front that allow you to not necessarily have to try to trick trick the offense mm -hmm. and overload one side or the other. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think I think this scheme with guys who can win one on one battles on a consistent basis could be very, very effective. I don't think you can scheme your way out of just getting physically whipped. And and that's the thing is I think they're getting physically whipped. I think they're undisciplined in terms of being in their gaps. How much of that is the coaches versus how much of that is the players? Uh, week one, week two, week three, I would have said, you know, 80% players. But at this point, you know, it's at least 50-50. Because mm -hmm. you look at it, you just go, look, like, if the young guy, like, so I know everybody's sort of saying, hey, we need to get the young guys in there. We'll probably have one of these questions coming up. Everybody's saying we need to get yeah. the young guys in there. I can look at multiple plays on, on the film and see Kamari Wilson not in the right place yep. or see, um, you know, or, or see Devin Moore, not in this game because he was out, but see Devin Moore in previous games where he's out of position or you can see Chris McClellan getting blown back or you can see, um, you know, any one of the defenders or Shamar James not doing what he's supposed to do on a particular play. Um, now, that's not to say they're the only problem. Everybody's the problem. And that's that's part of the problem is that, you know, if, a, if the linebacker does everything right, the defensive lineman does. And if the defensive lineman does it right, the linebacker does. And if both the linebacker and the defensive lineman do it right, the safety's out in no man's land. You get no idea where he's at. So, um, you know, at some point, you got to put your players in a position where they're capable of succeeding. And Patrick Tony thus far has failed to do that. 
And so as this progresses, I think it leans more and more and more towards coaching because that's the whole point is you're supposed to see improvement from spring camp to fall camp to game one to game two to game three to game four. And to see things backpedaling significantly against LSU certainly starts to put the spotlight on the coaches. Yeah, so the first part of that question was what percentage of problems would you put on player development? I think that's a, a good bit of it. We knew coming into the season, and we had laid out every issue. While we laid out every issue, we didn't expect it to be this bad, but all the issues that we really see are the ones that we are still seeing seven games into this season. Uh, so we knew development was going to be an issue up front for Florida. Uh, it continues to be. Um, linebacker at the same time, defensive back at the same time. Uh, but even some players that we you know thought we could count on, uh, you know, like someone like Jason Marshall, not to really single him out, but you know, we're just not getting that impact. We're not getting the impact from Jervon Dexter, we thought Britton Cox, uh, at, at times as well. I mean, it's just that you know, the, even the impact players, uh, that we thought, you know, maybe marginally better in some ways, but still some of the same players that we've seen from the last two, three, four years in some ways at the same time. So, uh, you know, yeah, trying try to put a percentage on scheme, scheme fit. I mean, that's it is kind of, uh, I, I think tricky right now, but also goes to Will. Another question we have uh, what adjustments can be made to get more pressure on the quarterback? Who's most likely to step up from the younger defensive tackles? Um, you know, Sap, McClellan, et cetera. You know, adjust, as far as adjustments go, and, you know, whether we're talking scheme and all that, you, know, you look, you, you don't want your defense to be predictable, um, but some adjustment in just how maybe maybe and going one to your really your earlier points will about maybe the confusion and how hard it is to and to play in the defense and how complex it is. I mean, but some of the adjustments may, might just be you know how many ways the defense is how many ways it's being deployed out there. I I think it could have them thinking this much earlier. I'm not saying. You don't want to eventually become a complex defense. Of course, it's what we all want, but maybe we're so early in the process still that there's still too much learning going on. I mean, as you mentioned, Will, no matter what we see out there, cover two, cover three, quarters, half-field, man, zone, pattern match, it doesn't matter. <laughs> there's a lot, and we've seen it all. There is a lot going on out there. I'm not saying players should not get this. I have no earthly idea of the timeline of when players should be getting all this. But you know, if that is the case, then uh, adjust to what they do well. But maybe even that might have it issues. I mean, the simplest example that we see, Jaden Hill playing better in some of the zone concepts on one side, but Jason Marshall on the other side of the field. No, I'm not saying in the same play here. I'm just saying that, that those two guys playing better in the more of the man concept. So, you know, it's not an easy solution when you sit here and say, well, what do these guys do well? Because one guy does one thing well and the other guy does something else well. So you've got to be able to collectively come up with something that the group does well uh, on the defensive side of the football. So as you said, we'll, you know, I'll extend that no consistent pass rush. Uh, hardly brings more than three, four guys. Uh, probably more of, of an adjustment I'd like to see. Uh, Saturday night, that was on full display. Um, but I'd, I'd adjust, be more aggressive up front a bit. Secondary play probably stunts this a bit. Probably not a lot of trust going on. Going on, you know, big plays are still happening, even a even in a conservative approach and dropping guys in the coverage and playing zones so the big plays don't happen, but they're still happening anyway. So uh, nothing worked. Nothing has been working. And I think better pressure up front is a great starting point. It can mask a lot of issues. We saw that with Todd Grantham. You know, a really good defensive front masks a lot of issues. 
but you know, I, I think the question I have, Will, is the second half of the season goes on. Can they find a way to generate more pressure? The secondary is not good enough to create, you know, coverage sacks. Hardly any defense is. But I think uh, for for me, I'd if there's going to be one thing I think that can make a big difference as far as no matter what's happening on the back end, to some extent, you got to start winning your battles up front. Or, or, Or generate ways to do it. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So there are two things that I would do if I were the defensive coordinator. And there's a reason I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm not a defensive <laughs> coordinator. So we, we, we need to get, we, we need to get that out of the way, too. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people but, but want, the, want opinions, and there's different ways to look at it. But these guys will know. They'll forget more than we'll ever know about the game of football in that form and fashion. But that's actually one of the suggestions that I'm going to make is that so Mike Lombardi, he's been on Bill Simmons podcast. He's a former executive for the Cleveland Browns and Patriots and uh, and uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, when he would go on Simmons podcast, he would talk about head coaches who had the the cheesecake factory menu. And his point was that you go to the Cheesecake Factory and you do not go to the Cheesecake Factory because you want an awesome steak. They have steak on the menu, but you don't go to the Cheesecake Factory because they have an awesome steak. You go to the Cheesecake Factory for the cheesecake and then the food is just sort of there and they've got this menu that's like 47 pages long (laughs) and you got to go through it. And his point was is that when you look at different offensive coordinators, you're talking about offense specifically, but when you look at offensive coordinators who have that big play sheet, do they actually run anything well because they're trying to run everything. And I think that's the first suggestion is what is your identity as a defense? Are you going to be a cover two man under? Are you going to be cover two zone? Are you going to be man up with a single high safety? Are you going to do things like bring cover zero and say to hell with it? We'll let them hit a big play. Like what are you going to do as your identity, as your base defense, where you say, we're going to play this and we're going to play it right irrespective of what the of what the offensive lineman is, irrespective of what the other team wants to do to us. Look, we'll play cover two man under, and if they run on us, they run on us. But we're going to do that, and we're going to do it right. I think the Cheesecake Factory menu is a great analogy in terms of what's going on because you listed all the different types of defenses we've seen game to game and, and series to series. And I'm sitting there going, we don't run any of them well. So find one and run it well. That's the first thing. Well, before, you, second, go, before you go into that, there is an example of that. And Illinois is doing it with their staff. I haven't watched. Somebody has brought it up. They said, go watch Illinois. They play predominantly cover one, and they stay in it. (laughs) And you're going to get torched sometimes if all you do is play cover one. Correct. But you also might get off the field every once in a while if you play it well, and and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And we've had coverage busts. We've got guys who can't play zone very well. We've got guys who don't know they're supposed to be in zone. The game against Tennessee, we had three guys playing zone and one guy playing man. And all of a sudden, you got guys running down the field. Like when that sort of stuff happens, that makes me think, okay, Cheesecake Factory menu, what is my identity? What do I do well? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is you got to take something away. Because right now, if you look at Florida, I'm looking at uh, projected points added PPA, which is like an EPA expected points added based stat. But Florida is basically as bad against the pass as they are against the run. 
Now you look at the next worst team in terms of projected points added, and that's Vanderbilt. They are terrible against the pass. They're twice as bad against the pass as they are against the run. But if you were a run-heavy team who came in to play play Vanderbilt, you're actually going to struggle. And so, you know, you, you start looking at some of the games where Vanderbilt's going to have some close calls. I think it's going to be teams who come in who don't throw the ball very well. I'm guessing that Missouri game is going to be a game that Vanderbilt has a chance to get. One, because Missouri's not that good, but also the second part is going to be because Vanderbilt can stop the run, and they're going to force Brady Cook to pass against them, so they're going to have a shot. So I look at the Georgia team, and I go, all right, what do, we, what do you want to take away? And if you say, we're going to take away Stetson Bennett, we're going to make Georgia beat us on the ground, cool, play a dime. Like, put an extra defensive back out there, play your one coverage, say, hey, look, Stetson, we don't think you can drive. Uh, like, I mean, I'd play cover two man under, but mm -hmm. whatever you decide you want to do, play that defense and dare him. And say, look, we're gonna, you're gonna have to go 14 plays, but again, you gotta come up and make the tackle if you're gonna do that sort of stuff. <laughs> so there, there is something to that. And look, he's changing those defenses because they're not getting pressure, because they're not doing those things well um, in certain instances. And you do need to to switch things up from time to time. I'm not saying you never deviate from what Correct. you do. In fact, if you have an identity, then when you deviate, it's a surprise. But as of right now, you're getting a bad steak, a bad burger, a bad you know, a, a bad chicken sandwich, and for the love of God, they just cooked us fish this past weekend. <laughs> and you go to a restaurant that's not known for fish and they start giving you salmon or sushi and you go, no, 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 no. Give me a piece of cheesecake. Like, that's what I want. So those are the two things. I, I think you sit there and you say, are we going to play a dime? Or are we going to put more bulk on the field? Either play a true four, three with three linebackers and, and say defensive backs, you're on your own. And you're going to win some and you're going to lose some, but you're on your own. And we're going to put a front seven out there that can stop the run or play five bring a bring a defensive back up maybe torrents up into the box to help with the run when you need to and then have more speed and more versatility on the back end decide what you're going to take away and then do that and do that well you're never going to be a great defense that way i get it but right this is so That's bad that you can't just keep saying well you know and, and two weeks ago i would have told you you don't want to simplify it these guys have to learn it you're developing for next year all that sort of stuff but you're losing faith the players are starting to lose faith in what you're trying to teach and you could see that in the second half particularly against lsu and so you know they're neat this is one of those little league everybody gets a trophy we need to get build some small wins for for this defense before we start talking about you know hey we need to make sure we throw the entire kitchen sink at them and so those are the two things i would do to improve it i, I would i would simplify what we're doing from a scheme perspective and i would say hey let's change the personnel to take away one thing that the offense does and maybe you change that week to week mm -hmm. but say we're going to sit in a defense that makes stetson bennett check to a run every time and if and we're not going to let them run us out of it because we're giving up a touchdown anyway. Yeah. And if they're able to run down the field and score a touchdown, hey, tip your cap to them, give the ball to Anthony Richardson, say go get us a, go get a seven. I think if you ran a defense like that, you'd be able to force some field goals. You'd force a couple of screw-ups. They would try to throw into your defense a couple of times, even though you're daring them to run because the team would get impatient, and you'd force a couple of punch. You'd get a turnover. You, you'd you know, you'd give up points still, but I think you'd be more effective that way. So again, those are the two things I do, but they yeah. don't pay me anything. So and there's probably a reason. <laughs> like I said, eventually, yes, you want to become a complex defense. And Patrick Tony, that's what he'll want. That's what he can do. And that's what he'll be able to to scheme up. And you can confuse 
Yeah, but right now, confusing the opponents not the not the issue whatsoever. Yeah, you may go kind of going back to one of your other uh, earlier points. Well, yeah, you may drop a def- defensive lineman back in coverage and the and the creeper and all that, the simulated pressure and try to confuse. You're not confusing anybody right now. <laughs> you're confusing your own guys right now. That's who you're confusing. It turns out when someone's running down the field with no one around him within about forty yards, Hendon Hooker can hit that guy. <laughs> like uh, that's uh, you know. And and Jaden Daniels apparently can too. So um, may, maybe we should we should adjust that. Well, what's something I wanted to go back, um, and it just this just happened by pure coincidence, and I was like, man, this fits so well. Uh, so I went to kind of just put some notes here that I wanted to get into, and for whatever reason, my 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 note taking uh, program here went all the way to the bottom of the page, and you know what episode it ended on? It was this is. The very first episode I started using this program, all my notes are right here, and it's when we went and previewed Patrick Tony's defense. <laughs> I was like, well, this, I guess this is just supposed to happen here. A little so, bit of a shine's worn off of that one. Man, now has it. So I'm going to go back through and list what he's looking for in his secondary, what he's telling these guys to do, what he's looking at as far as fundamentals go. And we'll, I will come back at you on the other side with it. And you, you, why don't you give me your thoughts? And we've kind of hit on some of this, but we're going to hit it on even more. But in this past happy game now, secondary, um, your secondaries have become even more point, important. Tony has a progression starting with eye progression. Scan is the first part. Get the signal from the sideline, down in distance, formation the offense is in, splits of the wide receivers, which wide receivers are off the ball, on the ball, to get then game plan specific information, everything you practiced throughout that week, after getting the signal, those are the items that are in the scan. So the next portion is called zoom. That's the next portion of eye progression. Zoom into your primary key for run or pass. Snap is the final step of the eye progression. Snap eyes to the secondary key. All those steps to make sure the job is done right. Okay, well, we're not seeing that. So the next step Teaching uh, of teaching defensive backs are the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals in a Patrick Tony defense for the, his secondary guys? Four categories. First is alignment. Whoops. Same stance every snap. You're not giving away what type of coverage you're playing. Under the also under the alignment category is depth and leverage. Here we go, Will. Something that's one of the favorite topics out there. How deep does the player need to be to get the job done? And how can the defensive back gain an advantage? 37 yards. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, so I know that, of course, is a, is a big, is a big um, a topic out there. Of And look, I've heard it both ways. There are ways I've heard there's no way it's taught that way. And I know there, and I've heard there's no way that the players know to do they know players know not to do that you know so they're being told to do it i've heard it both ways i don't i don't have the answer to that i don't know if they're being taught to play so far off the stick so far off the coverage i think that's the question we all have um so the second category there is eye discipline and that's going back to reading your primary secondary keys footwork is the third category in fundamentals defender needs to have eye and feet in sync we've seen some issues there especially in this uh, at the safety position Primary key needs to have primary footwork. Depending on what your primary key is, that dictates what footwork to start with and then to the transition. The secondary key determines the, tra- the, the transition. That's 
reading if it's run pass, whether you're reading if somebody's in your zone, where they're at. And then as Tony says, it, it, this was part of a, a YouTube video. I shared it on Twitter. Uh, he says, the finish is the most important, you know, block destruction, takeaways, pass breakups, tackle, very detailed aspects of how to finish, how and when to tear off blocks, different forms of pass breakups, how and where to make tackles, how to create different types of turnovers, punch, poke, rip, and such, all that kind of stuff there. So, uh, Will, so we go through it. Of course, we know it's talked about. We know it's discussed. We know it's taught. But everything that we just kind of went in detail with right there, especially when looking at this secondary, that, that it, it, we see the issues and the explanation of a lot of the fundamentals Patrick Tony is looking for in his secondary players. Yeah, that's going to be thrown back in his face a little bit in terms of uh, the the way this has gone so far. I mean, you know, the one play I think about in particular is there was a third and five where LSU ran an option play. And I have no idea what the alignment was pre-snap. They had three guys out with three receivers, and then there was a tight end out to the right-hand side of the formation. And Florida only had three defensive backs out there. They had two defensive backs off to the off to the left hand side of the formation, and there were no receivers out that way. Like from a formation perspective, there weren't any legal receivers out that way. Usually, what you see is the corner on that side sort of comes in and runs support, and then the safety rotates over to be deep and allows one of the safeties who's who's up with the three receivers at the top to to pinch in and prevent something like a slant or something like mm -hmm. that or come up and make a tackle on a pitch. That's not what they did. Both safeties bailed and went deep on the play, and I have no idea how LSU didn't get a touchdown. Rashad Torrance ran right by the wide receiver, just completely whiffed on the block, and LSU gained six yards and wound up with a first down, but – I mean, it, it could have been so much worse than that. And I'm sitting there going, the safety's on the wrong side of the field. I don't know how that happens. I, I just don't. And so, you know, when we talk about coaching and we talk about, you know, eye discipline and, and knowing your, your call and all that sort of stuff, I just look at it and I go, like, do we, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine that's taught. Right. I, I just can't imagine it's taught that way. Or I'm missing something. Maybe I'm missing something. But the only way that works is if you drop a defensive end into coverage and you're kind of trying to trick them into saying, hey, we don't have enough guys over there. Throw this way. And then you drop a guy in coverage. And now you do have guys. But they didn't drop anybody. And so I'm just like, I, I either something got screwed up in the execution of the call. And, and I still don't think that Florida's at a stage where they can be advanced enough to try to try to essentially set up misalign mm -hmm. to bait the other team into something like that just doesn't make sense. So I think it was a complete misalignment by the defense and whether that's trading being misaligned in the wrong place, whether that's the safety on the, on the high side, I think it was Trevez Johnson dropping out too far, like whatever it was, I don't know, but it was awful. And so, um, you know, you, you just, and it's that way, play after play after play, where you look at it, and you go, "What are they trying to accomplish here with this defense?" Like, and you know, you saw Tony trying everything in 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 the Cheesecake Factory menu, sitting there rushing three with a spy, and mm -hmm. you know, playing zone behind and that, it, and that, rushing and that, three and, that, and a spy with. And that happened a lot early, you know, rushing three with a spy because I think you know, kind of wanted to see where Jaden Daniels was at, how much he was going to run. Well, I mean, he he was beating you with his arm. Didn't have to run. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I, I I don't even remember what the question was, Dave. Other than your notes are depressing because when well, there was no that, question was like, related to that. It was kind of related to everything we've already kind of discussed. But yeah. I so, was putting in no, relation. I, I, no, no, no. I know I know where I was going with it. Is if you watch any of the stuff on YouTube for Patrick Tony, he talks about numbers, and that was one of the things that got me excited. Was I sat and it got me excited about the spring game too? Is it looked like on the offensive side of the ball, Napier understood that concept as well, which is that your goal as an offense is to get the defense to give you a numbers advantage with motions or with misdirection or or you know that's really the concept in those flood routes is to flood the field into one side to sort of make the defense do some things you don't want it to do and to make it easier for your quarterback to to make the read but what I am seeing when I watch the misalignment that happens is that Florida gives themselves a numbers disadvantage just by the way they're aligned and so that's discouraging to me because I sit there and I go, that's the first day of training camp, right? Like that, like getting aligned based on whether it's, you know, a, a three by one or a two by two or a, a, you know, 12 personnel with two wide, like all that sort of stuff. Those alignments are things you're working on right off the bat. And so to be misaligned, to have those sorts of things be, be issues, I think are, are concerning. Absolutely. And when people start complaining about coaching, normally I sit there and I go, oh, you know, you, it's a new staff, it's new players or, you know, the same players as last year. You weren't really happy with last year's performance. Um, I think the defense, I think the numbers are a little bit misguided in terms of what that defense was actually able to do last year. Um, the Florida's offense was so bad. I think sometimes opposing offenses kind yes. of put it in neutral. Yep. Um, but you know, that 2020 defense was terrible. This one's worse. This one is worse than that 2020 defense. It's not even particularly close. And, uh, you know, we're, we're with the likes of Arkansas and Vanderbilt when it comes to the defense side of the ball. And at that point, you do look at coaching and just go, Yeesh. yeah. And you, you mentioned 2020, 2021. And look, there, I, there was the, and maybe it was too simplistic of a thought that just getting rid of Todd Grantham was going to be an improvement. Okay. Maybe that was too simplistic. But at the same time, with that, this was a bad defense in 2020, a bad defense in 2021. There's going to be some inexcusable things that happen in a transition year. There's going to be. There's going to be the learning process. There's going to be all that that comes with this. But as we said, you know, where's the improvement from game one to to now? I think that's where the frustration really, really sets in. That's why, you know, I wasn't really set on it's coaching, it's coaching, and coaching against Utah and against, you know, earlier in the season when we saw a lot of these issues. I needed to see it more play out because we we, we already knew the players were the issue. We, We already know that from the last couple of years. But now I just needed to see more. And look, there's just it's bad defense in 2020, 2021. You're not going to get an instant fix there like I thought you would in in some way, some form or fashion. Well, we never thought this defense was going to be this top 30 defense. I mean, I, I, there was no way that was going to happen. But I am surprised at the the issues that's still happening in Game Seven. I know transitions not easy. I I preached that for ever this this off season, over and over and over again. But it is having more of an impact than I thought it would. Well, so I think we need to take a step back. And the first one is is that Todd Grantham is not a bad defensive coordinator. He's an average defensive coordinator. Like that was always my contention. You can go back and read anything I wrote on the site. It's not that I think Todd Grantham is awful. It's that I think Todd Grantham is average. And when you've got an average defense, you have to have an unbelievably explosive offense just to compete. You saw that with Oklahoma in those Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and even even uh Hertz, Jalen Hurts years, that they had terrible they had they had defenses that were not great, 
Um, they weren't always terrible, but they weren't great. And they had these giant explosive offenses and they're able to make it to the playoff. So you have to be perfect on the offensive side of the ball. If you have an average defensive coordinator. And to me, that's the argument for, for jettisoning Todd Grantham is that we want to be better than average. So that's what you're competing with. You're competing with a guy who's average, not a guy who's terrible. Now the 2020 year was terrible, but you know, that's not his career. His career is he's an average defensive coordinator. And so that's what we're trying to replace with Patrick Tony. And thus far, <laughs> the verdict is, is that maybe Patrick Tony is below average. And, you know, we'll see. Time's going to tell. Um, he certainly didn't seem to have that profile when he was at Louisiana, but he also wasn't the defensive coordinator when Billy Napier was going through early struggles and transition there at Louisiana either. They had other guys helming the defense when things were difficult, doing sort of the baseline teaching of the defense to guys who'd already been taught in a college scheme before. He needs to make an adjustment just like anybody needs to make an adjustment. And it may be that he's feeding these guys a little bit too much too quickly. It may be that he, you know, I mean, look, we may look up three or four years from now and go, Ooh, that was an interesting experiment. And uh, you know, I, the verdict is still out in terms of whether Tony's all that great. But uh, again, I, I think it is important to note because I think it's absolutely fair to say that Florida needed to make a change and that they should have made the change after 2020. And there were a lot of reasons for that. Some of the toxicity in the locker room is one of the reasons for that. But Todd Grantham was not a terrible defensive coordinator. He was an average one. And I think we all assumed that we were getting an upgrade in Patrick Tony, and that's why things were going to get better, especially because the last two years with Grantham had been had been bad. But, you know, the, the, the really disheartening thing for this defense, to be honest with you, is that we said all offseason, and I think we, we believed this, was that the top side of the defense was talented and was going to be able to play well. The question was going to be if guys got injured. And – no one's gotten injured and the defense is this bad. And mm. and that's the thing that I think I look at and just go, it ain't a depth issue. Kyrie Elam was a really good player. He wasn't this good or he wasn't this important. Zachary Carter was a really good player. He wasn't this important. So, you know, look, I think it's, uh, um, you know, I, I think Grantham needed to go. There are reasons he needed to go, but you know, there's always a risk when you make a change. And one of the risks is that that change is going to end up looking like this. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be quite this bad, but this is where we are. And so, you know, Florida's got the bye. We try to fix it and we'll see what they come up with. Yeah. I see a lot of comments about, you know, staff changes. Look, I mean, people can sit here and say they want to, the staff change is not happening. I mean, so that's where you got to start looking at this too. What can be done to get better? You can sit here and say you want a staff change, you want Patrick Tony fire, which is, I still think, ridiculous. And you, you may end up being right seven games in. I, I think it's ridiculous you know, to sit here and already call for it. But also, it's, it's not happening. I mean, so I think that's got to play into the, the factor and decision-making and um, analysis and conversations that's going on. It is not happening. Uh, well, so can, you, I say, can I say something about that? Because that's really aggravating. I mean, I, I look at it and I go – in, in no other walk of life would we look at somebody halfway through their first sort of season or first year in a job and go, oh, well, you haven't completely turned things around. Like, you're out of here. Um, even if things had gotten worse, we wouldn't – you give them an opportunity to right the ship. I think you got to give Patrick Tony that ability to do that, to do that with his own players. And, I mean, look, I, I think people are excited about some of the guys, Dijon uh, Johnson coming in, committing and stuff like that. All the like every top recruit except for Mizell, who's been brought, I guess it's Mizell and Eugene Wilson. Other than that, every single top recruit's on the defensive side of the ball. Is that all Corey Raymond? Like, so from the standpoint of like the things that were deficient when it came to Dan Mullen, 
you know, Patrick Tony's pulling his weight on the recruiting trail, which is a big part of college coaching. And so if you start changing out coordinators every six months, you're going to run into some real problems when it comes to continuity, recruiting, guys who are high-level recruiters wanting to come to your organization, those sorts of things. Like, I don't think you're blindly loyal to people. But the reason it was frustrating that Mullen didn't get rid of Grantham is because we were three years in, saw things not progressing, Correct. saw a defense that cost Florida a shot at a playoff, and said, look, it's stale, it's time for a change. That, I think, is a legitimate thing to do, to look at it and say, look, this, this isn't getting any better. Six games, seven games in, to say, hey, time to jettison this guy. All you're really doing is setting yourself up to be Nebraska. I mean, look, Nebraska had Bo Pelini, had a had a stable program that was building something there and had expectations that they were going to be Ohio State. And those expectations were not matched by reality. And all of a sudden you end up with Bill Callahan and Scott Frost and they're sort of chasing their tail and they have to keep making changes, keep making coaching changes year after year after year after year. You don't want to be in that situation. So you have to give these guys time. And you may be right. Three years from now, everybody may look back and say Patrick Tony is a terrible defensive coordinator. But you don't know that right now for sure. There's not enough data points to say that. And just because he's not the right guy, let's say he's not the right guy, just because he's not the right guy, chasing him off after a year means you're not getting the right guy the next time. Because the right guy isn't going to want to come to your place. What are we, Auburn? Just going to have planes coming in with like mystery candidates for different <laughs> jobs and stuff like that. There's a reason Billy Napier didn't want the Auburn job. There's a reason other folks haven't wanted that Auburn job. It's because of all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that undermines the coaches who are there. Florida doesn't want to turn into that program. And so I get it. I get you're frustrated. I get that the third down defense is terrible. I get the defense overall is terrible. I get that you lost a game that you should have probably won against, against both Tennessee and LSU, or at least you should have had a shot. I get all that. But the, the, the jump from this needs to improve to we need to just change out these interchangeable coaching parts um, to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You got to, you got to give these guys an opportunity, even if they fail, because if they fail, then the next coach knows he will have the time and the, and the resources to, to get a win. And honestly, that's sort of, that was always the fear when they got rid of Zook was that getting rid of him early was going to set a precedent that you weren't going to be able to get elite head coaches to come in. And, you know, this every three-year turnover does sort of set your program back over time. And you need to be careful of that. It doesn't mean you don't make changes when you have to make changes. And certainly if there's like some red flag that's sitting there inside the program that we just can't see, then, yeah, you make the change. But if it's just, hey, he's struggling, we need to we need to help him, boost him, and, and um, you know, give him an opportunity to grow into a bigger job in the SEC, then you got to give him an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm ultimately at the level, and I said this yesterday, I got to see what you do with your own players first. Now, if it gets, you know, in year two, don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting freshmen to come in next year and, and make this huge impact on Patrick Tony's defense. But, you know, if year two is like year one, okay, then to me, good, okay. Then you can start setting the wheels in motion if, if Billy Neighbor thinks that's the, the, the best way to go. But after one, no, nah, I, I can't. I, I can't well, jump on that board. Well, and the thing I just said earlier about the defense having an identity – having something that it does well, figuring that aspect out. Yeah, certainly by the end of next year, if you're still sitting there going, what's the identity of this defense? And you're still sitting there in the 80s to 100s. Yeah, we can have a conversation. We all knew Nussmeyer was terrible after the second year, right? We, we knew there was, there, was, there was a need to make some changes there. He still got the third year, but we, we know that, there's that, op that, that you can start to make those judgments around that time. But, you know, look, I think there, there is a risk to being so critical so early about 
you know, from the, jumping from you need to do your job better to we need to find someone else to do your job is a leap that I think you need to be more patient on when it comes to these programs. Not just because the person maybe can't do the job well enough, you might be right, but because the ramifications of what that means about the quality of the next person that you bring in for that role, um, I, I think I think really does justify and, and necessitate patience. All right, uh, let's get one more, Will. And we kind of hit on this last week a bit, but I do want to get into it because it's talking about uh, kind of freshman here. Uh, Napier clearly doesn't trust his defense to make stops. I think that is purely clear out there. <laughs> Why not play more people like Lions and others to get on the field more to lighten up reps uh, at home, forget red shirts, get experience? Uh, what conversations is he having with Tony? Because statistically this is worth in Grantham now. Okay, yeah, we've hit that pretty much, but – now, you don't forget red shirts and get experience. I mean, if you're a freshman and not ready to play, you don't throw them out there just to go get them experience. I mean, there, there's a development piece to this at the same time. If a, if a, if a, if a freshman defense, especially a defensive lineman, a young defensive lineman is not ready to go out there and play in that position group, you're not throwing them out there before they're ready just to go get them experience. If he's not ready, I mean, I, I at least trust the staff. Now, for freshmen's good, I'm not saying don't play freshmen. If a freshman, if a freshman has come in and proven that he can go out there and be a proven production or have proven production, be a proven playmaker, go out there and give you quality snaps, then I'm all for it. You know, you got four games to redshirt now. That's clearly enough to go out there and get the experience, I think, for a guy who may not be ready to go out there and play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, process, guys, process. Like, I think one of the reasons that Jim McElwain struggled, that that Will Muschamp struggled, that Dan Mullen certainly struggled, is a lack of organization and a lack of process. And so to just say, oh, things are going poorly, we're going to abandon our process in terms of these guys that we want to redshirt, these guys who aren't ready, these guys, we're going to throw them into the fire because, oh, they need experience. Well, you know, that is not a wise way to, to operate your program. The way you operate a program is you look at it and start at the beginning of the year and say, this is what we believe in. You make some adjustments along the way because you should make adjustments. But then you also sit there and say, we're going to have to weather this storm for the good of the program. And look, that's Napier's job. Napier's job is to take the hits in his first year. I mean, if you think Nick Saban enjoyed losing to Louisiana Monroe that first year that he was there at, at Alabama, you're crazy. He was embarrassed by that. And I guarantee you that drove him in in 2008 i guarantee you that drove him from the offseason but that was not a good so he took over a six and seven team from 2006 at alabama they go seven and six the next year now what i will say is that seven and six team had a ton of one score games now they weren't nearly as putrid on the defensive side of the ball as florida is but they weren't good when it came to offense in fact on offense they went from 65th to 94th in terms of yards per play they went from 53rd to 47th on defense they made almost zero improvement 
on the defensive side of the ball and the offense took a major step back and the team goes seven and six has a bunch of one score games goes four and six in one score game so 10 of their games were seven or eight points or less um only two blowouts against you know sort of fcs opponents and and, and the like there the cupcakes um you would have looked at that and said whoo i mean again if Sab- if saban is a young guy coming into that coming to that role from say a, a g5 school he's coming into that role at alabama and he does that you would have been like I don't know if he's ready for this. Like, look at that offense. Like, that's terrible. Now, I think you look at it and go, he, they did jettison Major Applewhite, or at least Major Applewhite, the offensive coordinator, left and went to Texas. Which Jim was McElwain which, which was his alma mater, by the way. Yep, absolutely. Jim McElwain comes in in 2008. The offense jumps back up to kind of where it was in 2006. But that's where the Saban stuff took over because all of a sudden their defense was fifth. And that 2008 team is the one that that – gave Florida a pretty good run for its money in that SEC championship game, was undefeated coming into that SEC championship game, then loses to Utah. The next year, the offense improves to 28th. The defense stays at 7th, and that's the team that wins the national championship in 2009. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at the guys who got playing time back in 2007 in that first year, their guys like Javier Arenas, Rashad Johnson, Marquise Johnson, and Andre Smith are the guys from the 2006 recruiting class. So those are the guys the year before Saban took Mm -hmm. over. So guys, he didn't recruit guys who Mike Shula recruited that he still brought in and and made valuable members of those 2007, 2008, and 2009 teams. Then he has his transition class. He has a couple of guys hit there. Rolando McLean and Kareem Jackson are the two who hit from the transition class. And then you get the Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Dante Hightower, and the like in that bump class who come in and sort of deliver the boom in 2009. And that's one of the reasons why you saw that giant increase. And Hightower and Ingram and Julio Jones all started in 2008. And that's one of the reasons why you saw Alabama go from seven and six to, to 12 and two. So what I say is, is that Saban is a defensive coach traditionally. The Alabama defense didn't really move from year one to year two. And then all of a sudden jumped to elite status the offense which is not his side of the ball falters and then improves enough to be able to support the defense i think that's the hope with napier right you see the offense or you see the offense sort of doing what it did last year um it's almost a carbon copy of what it did last (laughs) year actually a a little bit more feast or famine this year than last year last year was much more hey we're going to consistently move between the 20s and then not finish it off in the red zone this year it's we aren't even going to move the ball between the 20s unless we hit an 80 yard bump but the same general thing that you're getting from the offense, not a huge step up. So 21st last year, 26th this year in yards per play. Last year they were 39th, but I think that's a little bit of a mirage. The year before they were like 90th in yards per play allowed. This year they're 110th, um, certainly a major step back. The question is, do they, I mean, the question everybody's asking, and I think the question that will be thrown in our face on this one is, hey, he changed from Major Applewhite to Jim McElwain. Well, you can do the same thing with Kirby Smart. Same thing. The defense took a step back his first year, went from 18th to 35th. Uh, the, the offense went from 45th to 84th under James Coley, but he stuck with James Coley, and year two, they go up to ninth. They found their quarterback in Jake Fromm. They were effective. That 2007 team almost wins the national championship. Ninth in total offense, seventh in yards per play. They should have won the national championship. That was the two a year mm-hmm. where he comes in for Jalen Hurts in the second half. Certainly, we trolled them enough for that one that, uh, you know, it it was an enjoyable time for us. But sticking with Coley allowed that offense to improve the way you wanted to improve. Same thing with Urban Meyer. The offense went from 13th the year before he arrived to 63rd in 2005. We should all remember all the people claiming this offense won't work in the SEC. What's the spread offense? You need It's three clouds in the yard of dust. Come on, bring bring back the stuff that was before Spurrier and, and, and get that to work. All of a sudden, you know, he sticks with Dan Mullen. 
2008, 2006, the offense is 18th, and 2007, the offense is first. So, yes, Nick Saban made a change in offensive coordinator. Whether he ran off the offensive coordinator or whether the offensive coordinator decided to do something else, um, you know, Saban is obviously pretty traditionally hard on his uh, on his assistants. Well, not only the, that, you didn't know at the time Alabama was going to become what Alabama was going to become. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and, and absolutely. Like, and like I said, Major White went back to Texas where, of course, he played quarterback. So yeah, but I don't know the story either. I don't know if he got rid of him. I don't know if. My my point is is that in both cases you could look at it and say, oh, Georgia's offense is eighty fourth. Like Kirby, you're a defensive guy. You need to get the right offensive guy in here. In fact, that sort of did turn into the narrative when he finally mm-hmm. went with Todd Munkin. But you know, you look at that too, again. That 2017 team was really close to winning a national title. So it's hard for me to say that sticking with James Coley was the wrong thing. The 2016 won the national title for Florida. So it's hard for me to say that, oh, yeah, like Dan Mullen's offense doesn't work in the SEC or Urban Meyer's offense doesn't work in the SEC. And so I think what I'm saying is is that there are times in the recent history where guys who have built elite programs have taken a step back in year one. We knew that going in. Georgia went eight and five its first year under under Kirby. Alabama goes seven and six its first year under Saban. Florida goes nine and three its first year under Urban and then wins the national championship the next year. Um, the there are a bunch, so I'm going to be writing an article about this, and I think there are some indicators you can look at in year two to tell you whether a coach is really heading in the right direction. But the thing that I think becomes most important, and this is the place where I think we should spend our energy looking at, and this is one of the reasons why I think you can't jettison Tony beyond the other stuff I've already said, is that each of those coaches had an elite recruiting class come in after that first year. Saban certainly did. Smart certainly did. Urban Meyer certainly did. I think uh, Billy Napier is a little bit short of what I would call an elite recruiting class at this point. Um, and so you, you you need to maintain those relationships. You need to make those make sure the guys who are already there stick. And part of that is making sure that the defensive coordinator who's brought in all these guys and sealed the deal. I mean, look, yeah, you want to play for Billy Napier, but you want to play for Patrick Tony too if you've committed on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's a big part of what we need to pay attention to overall. All right, there we go. A uh, couple more questions, so uh, we'll maybe try and hit those next week. This is going to change, of course, for Florida this week with a bye week coming up, uh, four and three. So I'll save those questions, and uh, we'll see if we can hit them back. Because uh, all we'll have, you know, no game to talk about next Monday, of course. We'll get to hear back from the uh, um, coaching staff next Monday or, or Napier on the, and some players on the media availability. No media availability except the um, – except the uh, SEC teleconference on Wednesday. So, yeah, slow week, bye week, of course. And, well, everything we just discussed, maybe trying to find an identity and stuff, hey, that's what a bye week is for. Uh, you know, Try to find out some form or fashion here this late in the season where you kind of you kind of know what you have. You know what you're working with. This isn't an early bye week for Florida and a new staff. This is a you know mid-season bye week where you, you got enough to go by uh, to know what you need to work on and what you need to fix and – of course, you know, they'll try, and we'll see what they can pull out of it because it's uh, yeah, going to be pretty difficult to, to, to fix what's going on, especially on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, a lot of work to be done, um, but that was, that was one of the things I think Napier knew when he took over the program is you, know, you, you don't take over a program like Florida after the McIlwain and Mullen regimes without knowing that you've got some, some real work to be done. And to be honest, I mean, the program, when Urban Meyer left in 2011 and sort of when he – fake left before 2010 um you know he talked about the program being broken and 
you know, a broken program takes some time to fix and they've tried a few different things and none of those have worked. And so here's the, here's the third attempt to fix it or fourth attempt to fix it since Urban Meyer left. And, uh, you know, you got to give them a little bit of time to do that, but certainly, you know, the, the stories of Urban Meyer sitting everybody down and figuring out what they're going to change before that Georgia game, obviously have become a thing of legends because of what happened there in 2006 and 2007. And, but again, I think if you go back and actually think about, what people were saying after the LSU game. I, mean, I think I said last year, Chris Leak or last week, I think Chris Leak went like 10 of 32 for 106 yards against LSU in the game before the bye week. So, you know, the offense was the question in that Urban Meyer year in 2005 where you're sitting there going, geez, like this isn't going to work. He needs to make adjustments. Why isn't he doing what the rest of the conference is doing? Like, what's he going to do? And they came out with a fullback in that Georgia game. And I don't think it made a huge difference other than the fact that it surprised Georgia, maybe got him some points early on, put Georgia on its heels and the Bulldogs couldn't come back. You know, let's see what Napier and Tony can come up with, because I think there's an opportunity here to give the players a jolt of confidence against a team that uh, that Florida quite honestly shouldn't beat. But if you told me before the season started that Florida finishes seven and five and beats Georgia, I would say that's a successful season. <laughs> and so, you know, you always talk about like what goals are in front of you and what can you accomplish. And certainly the SEC East is out the window, which means the SEC championship is out the window. And that's sort of your first first goals that are sitting there on the chart at the beginning of the year. But we didn't really think those were realistic anyway. So, again, I go back to if you end up going two and two against Georgia, Florida State, uh, Tennessee and LSU, you go, that's a successful season. Is it likely? No. But, you know, you want to see someone win back the fan base real quick. Go shut down Georgia, and uh, and all of a sudden, everybody will know that Patrick Tony was the right guy. Why did anybody doubt him at all? Um, do I think that's going to happen? No, I don't. But, <laughs> but hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a delusional Florida fan right now going into a bye week. i got to hold on to something. The old uh, – we can put out the meme of the old Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Uh, one in a million buddy one in a million oh man oh well oh well we got a little bit of a reprieve this week so we don't have to watch i mean can they give that can they give up a third and long to bye week (laughs) probably likely right (laughs) i don't know man like it's it's so it's so awful though because you sit there and you look at it and First and second down against Missouri, they were pretty good, and then they were terrible on third. And then that first drive against LSU, they were really came out, jacked up, forced him in a lot of third and longs, and then just sort of fell over. Yeah, Britton Cox. And, and, I mean, he, he has to lead the nation in almost sacks. Uh, and there, there's a – I'm telling you, I want to play Wake Forest. <laughs> that slow mesh with Brenton Cox would just be a disaster. Like uh, Hartman would get absolutely destroyed with that slow mesh back there. Um but yeah, I mean, look, it's disheartening. I don't think there's any other way to put it. It's disheartening. You you would hope that there would be more balance. There just isn't right now. And so, like I said, we've talked a little bit about how we think Florida might fix it. Certainly that's going to be sort of some of the stuff that's coming up on Read and Reaction this week is talking about that and talking about sort of the history. But uh, um, yeah, like you said, we get a week to take a breath. So at least a week of no negativity, hopefully, where it's like, all right, everybody can take a breath. And then we can have a week of negativity heading into the Georgia game where we all sit there and wonder how bad the slaughter is going to be. And then hopefully, um, again, I mean, I think if you go out and you show well, I don't think anybody really expects Florida to be Georgia at this point. I would expect Florida's going to be at least a two-touchdown underdog in that game. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so no one, I think, really expects Florida to beat them. So go out, put up a good showing, show improvement, show progress. 
that's the thing that I think people are lacking right now is they just see things going backwards and say, things are going backwards. Why isn't it getting better? And so if we can start to see progress as the year progresses and by the time we get to the Florida State game, I mean, it's, it's hard to remember, but that 2018 team against Missouri was just awful. Like that might be the worst Gator performance I'd ever seen until the defense against LSU the other night yeah. and with that, Felipe Franks on offense against yeah. Missouri. And I think that game and, that would have been game nine that year, pretty much like like there, there was a ball he threw. He had a guy open in the flat. He throws the ball. He missed him by so far that, and I was there live, and I was like, I see it, and he just like missed him. Where the hell was he throwing the ball? And when you went and watched it on TV, he missed the guy so badly you couldn't see the ball in the picture, as like you knew it flew out of bounds because you'd been at the game. But you're like, oh, the cameraman completely missed that. When you're like, no, he didn't. The ball was so far away that you just could not see where it was. And I remember looking at that, just laughing when I got home and watched the replay, going, that's terrible. They fall behind to South Carolina. Everybody's booing the team. All of a sudden, come roaring back, and it was like a it was like a switch flipped. And you know that that I think is the hope is that a little bit of confidence, a couple of things go their way, the flip switches, and all of a sudden everybody starts trusting everybody else, and it looks like a different defense. Um, is it likely to happen? I don't think so. I think they're going to get stretched by a Georgia team that has tight ends that scare every scare an elite defense, let alone one that's built like Florida's. But, uh, you know, I, I think, again, progress. If we see progress, then most of the people are going to say, okay, I see what we're doing here. Um, but without any progress, there's not a whole lot to hold on to. Alrighty, alrighty, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Plenty to get into um, next week with Georgia hated Bulldogs, but yeah, I know that one's that one's not gonna be pretty. That one's gonna be that, that one's gonna be tough there, but uh, you know that's why they play the game. So at least it's got to be played. Well, get excited here. Get excited. Here, I will. Dave. I got a week. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's sitting here going, "I'm from Georgia." Yeah, there you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh. <laughs> This game has turned on its head for me in the last few years. Yeah, well, you, you had a good two-decade or three-decade run there, I Dave. Did. So, I did. Uh, so, you know, got to go through the tough times yeah, to appreciate would, the good ones. It would have been hard to enjoy much more than I did, but now I wish you know, like, wish I'd enjoyed it a little bit more. I wish I'd have been, probably been more of a butthole about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we'll turn it around at one of these points. We'll, we'll be 70 years old running around going, eh, eh, Georgia <laughs> at some point when this thing turns around. All right, but yeah, next week, next, uh, I'm going to see you uh, later this week, too. I'll, I'll, I'll throw another episode together. going to try and uh, figure out some things, probably re- recruiting recruiting style there uh, later on this week with, of course, the big news last week, and we can kind of um, recap big LSU visit weekend, everything that kind of happened uh, over the weekend for the Gators. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Well, what you got coming up uh, this week? Yeah, before we so I got an article. I'm going to be detailing what I talked about a little bit about Saban and, and Kirby Smart and Urban Meyer and how that compares and what we should expect from Billy Napier. Um, again, I think there's one particular statistic. I'm not going to disclose it here, but one particular statistic we should be looking at when it comes to um when it comes to Napier, and we're going to have to wait till next year to find it, but that's going to be the thing that sort of tells us everything I think we need to know about the program. And then uh, also going to be breaking down the defense a little bit. Uh, we talked tonight about what do you do to help, but um, I think based on some of the comments that I've that I've received today on Twitter and seen on Facebook and things like that, I think there's 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 a need to sort of point out what Tony has tried to do 
and uh, and what has worked, what hasn't worked, and, and sort of what we might recommend going forward. So probably both of those over the next week or so. Yeah, there you go. Readmeaction.com, YouTube, read and reaction. And on Twitter, you can find Will at WillMilesSCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.